Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. Well, thank you guys. I think uh, I'm really passionate about this topic, and really it is going to be more of a chat. Um, we've done many things about how to study the Bible, which is really important. And there's different methods how to do it. Like, what's the Bible designed as? Which is really important as well. But those things we're not going to do today. I think the biggest thing I'm going to spark is hunger for the Word. And the significance about being hungry and letting it transform and impact our lives. And a willingness to lean into that hunger and ask God to teach us afresh is really the heartbeat of what today and how scripture does that for us. Um, and I think I'm going to start out with this story. As I was praying, this came to my heart. Um, I have a D group that meets every Wednesday for the last almost coming on 11 months. We meet Wednesday mornings at Nixon's. And it's nobody in the room is part of this group, but it's a discipleship group where we dig into learning about God together. And uh, one of my dear friends in it just finished. He's moving away. And as we left on Wednesday, he handed me a letter and just said, here you go. And, and I left. And uh, I opened it. And he goes, over the last two years, I started with very little faith. And now I'm left with a faith that is transforming my family. The new place that I'll, the first thing I'll do at the new place I go is to restart up this group with new people. Why? Because what happened is he got a hunger in his heart that started leaning forward. And I just texted him back and said, same with me. Like, your hunger has sparked me to be more hungry too. That scripture and community together leans forward with hunger to actually let God transform our heart. And the beauty of those little groups is we don't hit a home run any of those days. They're little base hits or even bunts of impact. But when we keep showing up, actually the transformational power of God actually shows up. And uh, I don't know, it's one of those that I was just so humbled and so joyous because this guy's a dear, dear friend. And I'm like so proud of him and so proud of like the group we've been part of. But I think the point of it is it starts with hunger. There's no point of even starting a chat without that. So how I wanted to start out today was just two simple questions. If you've been part of the communities I've been part of in my life, this will be almost redundant, but it's the foundation. Is I want to just take, you know, about a minute for you to actually stop in prayer and ask God two questions for you individually that sparks hunger. First, I want you to stop and ask God, God, what do you think of me? And then I want you to ask, God, is there anything more you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? So I'm just going to take those. Why don't you, I don't care if you bow your head, open up your eyes wider, but ask God that a little bit and find a place to write down. If there's a, a thing that comes to your head, jot it down. But that's for you. It starts hunger in our hearts. So we'll take one minute for that.
Lord Jesus, I just pray for hunger in this room. I pray hunger in our heart, Lord Jesus, for you to show up in our lives. I pray for a teachability in our hearts that we lean forward that this doesn't become an old thing. <laughs> That's, it's not a thing we did in our past, it's a new thing. So let us lean forward in anticipation of what you want to use our lives for this season that we're in, this location that you've brought us, these friends that we see around us, Lord Jesus. May there be anticipation in our heart that the God of the Bible, the one you are, is the one who shows up in our lives. In your name, amen. Um, so you guys, um, so I would say this is going to be a chat. I'm going to share some stories. Really, I hope to spark hunger in us with stories, with revelation, with pausing, with thinking. And if you guys want to interject, I say raise your hand and let's actually pause for a second. This isn't just have to be a monologue, and that's why I call it a chat. But let's pause for a second to actually stop on a point. If the Lord's moving in something, please let us stop. Because there's no agenda to get through my whole list. Um, but I put this, Crom Deo is committed to letting the worldview of the Bible shape us, our identities and our life choices, the choices that are big and small. And this is a choice. For me, I'm going to start back. Many of you guys have heard a part of these stories. But I've been trying my best to charge after Jesus and know the Bible and let that affect my life for the last 21 years coming up this fall. And you guys have seen a significant moment for me uh, was this moment 21 years ago where three friends and I went to this black sand beach in Hawaii. Uh, one of them was coming out of gang life. One of them was coming out of drugs. And then there was me coming out of like morality from a small town in Iowa. Um, really, just, really just being a good, well, we can go into that. But we left this and we, it was a moment that we found out God was alive, he was moving. But how we got to this little black sand beach is we hitchhiked. So on the way home, we, we jumped and put our thumbs back out and jumped in the back of a a truck and these two hippie girls picked us up for like an hour and a half ride and they started asking us questions what are you doing and I was gonna leave on a trip to Cambodia in a hand uh, like a month and a half and I just got all excited I'm like yeah we're going to Cambodia and we're gonna tell everybody about Jesus and they're like sweet have you even read the whole Bible and I was like no so I mean does that matter and they're like interesting and but it, and reality is our identity doesn't come from if we know the bible to our hearts but it does start a thing if it's valuable to us in this special book like do we value the message of the bible so it sent me on a journey 21 years ago to say like i want to know this bible and i want to expect it to show up in my life and I spent those next six months just digging, starting in Genesis and digging through the Bible and saying, God, what do you have to say to me? I'm hungry. I'm open. That was my only background I had was I was hungry and open to learn. 
We went on outreach to Cambodia and we just kept up with my team the same thing. We stayed at this little guest house. It's called Palin Guest House. And it ended up, we didn't know at the time, but it was a brothel I found out at the end of our trip. But we would get on the top of, the, of this little brothel, looking over the city and reading scripture out and praying, God, we want it to happen in this city. We were reading Acts chapter 3, and Acts chapter 3 is um, when Jesus' disciples, after Jesus went back, was going down to the temple, and they ran into um, a crippled person who was asking for money, and they're like, we don't have money. But in the name of Jesus, they prayed for him to be healed. But I just imagine when we were reading this with my team, I imagined them just being insecure, just like I was. Like, hey, do you remember Jesus did that? Do you think that can happen here? And I said, guys, what if we pray and actually do the same? So I'm 21 years old, and we started praying to see physical change over the city, to see the book of Acts come alive. And it was Acts chapter 3. And we started reading the Bible, praying the Bible, and asking, God, will you actually transform how we live our daily lives around this worldview? Over the next three months in this little town, we saw actually healings happen. We saw change happen. We saw new friends who were a part of a different faith. But we said, we want to see change happen. Nothing was going on in that city, but the significance of belief and prayer happening changes that city like years and years later. To this day, our, my friend Garth moved to that city like a few years after our prayer on this top of this brothel. <laughs> and uh, he started a university that brought kids in. Dave and Katie went to that city about 10 years after me and educated kids, and it's part of Dave and Katie's story. But now they started one of the largest Christian universities in the whole nation, starting there. And not like we had any part, like a big part of it, but there was something about saying, God, I want to be used in your story. There's something that clicked with me, and now I look 20 years later of like, oh, my life has a bigger piece than I could imagine. And as I read the Bible, I said, no, 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 I want to be part of that story. God, may you let me be used. When I read it, let me not just be in my head, but let me be leaning forward and let me use it for my life. And we saw the book of Acts come alive, and we've seen fruit of it trickle back over two decades and seeing that city, that nation that was destroyed starting to be transformed around the gospel. And I think from that moment, the Bible started taking root in my heart where I wanted to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus and be part of that story. Where I started leaning in and realized, I'm not totally in control of my story. I get to be part of a bigger story and this Bible shapes everything I do. And every choice of that, of reading the Bible and expecting it to happen, still shapes my decisions today. So what we did was this, and this is what I want for Karam Deo. I learned to read the Bible. I learned to pray the Bible. And I learned to humbly let the worldview of God shape my choices moving forward. And that's not a method that Karam is actually putting forward. That's just a posture of our hearts to read it, to pray it, and let the worldview of what we're learning about God shape our choices. 
I love this, like if we go to the beginning of the Bible, and you're going to see me march through the Bible a little bit here with stories. But you see the story of the Bible, it's amazing. The start of it is actually the God of the universe out of a place of love in Genesis 1 and 2. Make out of love a partnership with humanity. He wanted to partner with them. The first humans, Adam and Eve, he's like, oh, you guys are my partners. I want to make it through love and for love. God chose man. But I think this was one of the most interesting things, worldviews, that has shaped me through that story. Obviously, we know they fell and made bad choices, but God met them personally. And we'll march through the rest of the Old Testament that a lot of us have a little bit of trouble with. There's some choices in there. But I think the most beautiful thing that happened when I started reading even the first two chapters is God isn't necessarily about fixing people. He's about slowly inviting them into a redemption story. He's a God that actually will choose to use us in our brokenness, meet us in the place of brokenness, so that he can partner with us out of love. So it's so crazy. There's some stuff in the Old Testament where he meets us and adapts to culture so that he can continue to have partnership. Not just fix the world, but have partnership with the world and bring love to the world. And as I read, I read it, I started praying this idea, and I let the worldview shape my life. And God's, that's the first thing, even raising kids, the first thing that God told us about the Bible is like, learn to let love saturate your heart, especially in the broken areas, because God's not shaking his finger at you. He's like, let love saturate your heart. Literally, right before I came up, my little son ran up to me, tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, Dad, I got something to tell you. So I lean in, and Bodhi goes, I love you no matter what. And I go, oh. And then he runs back. And I'm like, that's what Jesus and God is whispering in our heart at the start of that. The whole rest of the Bible is God whispering in our heart, like, I love you no matter what. Don't miss it. Even in your darkest times, your heart's desperate. I love you no matter what. And I started praying, God, how do I translate that? How do I play, play that in my life? And a few stories when I had this came to my mind. One was a thing called flame sledding. Have you guys ever flame sledded? We're, we're in Minnesota. Um, cold winter. It's cloudy, overcast. I went to college there. And we do what any good Minnesota would do with our good friend. We build a jump on a big hill, and we build a bonfire on the other side of the jump. <laughs> right? That's what you do. And you take, you go to the top, and you get the fire as high as you can, and you fly down the hill, and you jump off of it, and you fall into the fire. And if you catch flames, you do what you're supposed to do, stop, drop, and roll. Right? <laughs> Me and my friend Dan Shannon, if you know him, we're freshmen in college together. And uh, we did this in front of the seminary. Like, they were having an in-service for all the staff. And we were right outside the seminary on Seminary Hill and built a flame sled. And we are bombing the hill. And then all of a sudden, as we look, we look over, and the windows, there's, like, staff, like, right up against the windows <laughs> looking at us. And we hear security from the campus, like, running down the, you know, on us. Um, so how does that relate to Genesis? <laughs> Katie. 
just plastic sleds, you know, the plastic, uh, we weren't using the trays. No, we had real plastic sleds, Katie, we were high end. Um, my point is this, like we're in cold Minnesota. It's overcast. In the winter, it's actually not that fun. But there's something when you're with a good friend that there's deep joy in the midst of boredom. There's deep joy no matter where you show up. And I think out of that, me and my friends have talked, that's kind of like God of Genesis. He's like, I want to partner with you and create deep joy. No matter where you are, no matter how boring of a place you're in, I'm going to create joy. The idea of following Jesus isn't boring. It's like the most exciting adventure we could ever be on. It's like flame sledding, who made cold Minnesota into an adventure. It's not just morality to submit to. It's an adventure to be invited into. And I think about that later. I mean, there was a really kind of dark season when I was discipling people within YWAM. And I remember the Lord speaking to me softly, invite people into it. Show people how to embrace the places where you feel inadequate. You're not just in the teaching of Bible studies, but invite to all of life. So I remember taking my students that I'm the staff with and said, today, instead of Bible study, we're going to go snorkeling. And we went down to the water and we just said, God, will you be with us while we snorkel? And I learned this idea through Genesis 1, applying it, saying, actually, God just wants to hang out with us. There's a loving God who is just crazy about us, who whispers in our ear, I love you no matter what. And if we don't embrace that, there's no other reason to keep reading the Bible. And it's so unique, you guys. I've been all over the world with missions. Like, this is a God who's infinite and huge, but he's deeply personal. And I've been with other religions, like Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Taoists. And those two statements together is unique of the God of the Bible. Muslims would say he's distinctly infinite, he's strong. But to say he's personal would be blasphemous. Hindus would say, oh, we got crazy like personal gods, but to say they're the creators would not make any sense. The uniqueness of a God who's infinite and personal is the foundation of us reading through the scripture. And it's this God who's whispering, I love you no matter what. I'll take you flame sledding in the boringest times. I'll go snorkeling with you. I'll shoot hoops with you. You're not alone. And it's a call as we read the Bible. If times of loneliness, we realize, no, no, no. God said we're not alone. Let's fight for it. This is the worldview Karamdeo is committed to. We're not alone. Fight for it. I love you no matter what in your darkest of times. Genesis. Hold on, my phone keeps locking. Your steadfast love, don't let me forget it. We go on through the Old Testament, and there's this group of people who form the Israelite people group, right? A nation of people. Really, the main characters are Abe, Mo, and Dave. 
So we got Abe, Mo, and Dave, and there's so many truths inside these stories of these three men, right? Who shaped the worldview of the Bible. God actually called them out of the people to be obedient to him. He shaped them and sent them forward to continue the idea of not fixing the world, but bringing redemption to the world. Not doing it alone, but actually inviting others into it. One problem that happened with Abe, Moe, and Dave, and if you don't know them, Dave will give a class on it later. Um, but if you don't, one thing that happened with those people group that is really sad is they replaced an intimate walk with Jesus with a defense of nationalistic identity. They started thinking that the Israelite identity was the identity to fight for and to hunker down and defend because they thought that they were meant to actually protect, stay inward, get in their foxhole together. When the whole meant was they were invited to a heavenly identity that was meant to be a contagious virus that spread everywhere. And you see all through the Old Testament a broken people group who owned their national identity and missed a heavenly identity. They owned their inward focus people group but missed the outward infiltration of society. We have some mentors of ours who say, you can't change what you don't love. And he says, you can't love the things you fear. If you fear culture, it's hard to love it. And if you just want to change culture without loving it, you'll just be an outsider who's a critic. And this area of the rest of the Old Testament invited me in, actually, as I dug in and read it, to say, love them with all your heart. And ask to be part of my story. So at this, this point in my life, when I was mid-20s, I joined this weird Bible school that took me nine months to go through. So I moved with a group of friends to northwest Montana, and we spent nine months, six days a week, eight to 12 hours a day, just reading the Bible. When I got to the portion of Abe, Mo, and Dave, I started asking this. I said, God, can I be part of that story? I'm reading these stories where this burning bush comes up, and Moses stops in his tracks, right? And his whole calling in life shifts. Abraham's just wandering around and God says, I'm calling you to leave your people group. David's tending sheep. And God comes to him and says, you're anointed, don't miss it. And I said, God, I want a story like that. I want an adventure to be part of. And at that moment, that's when God reminded me of a people group in northern India and said, go to these people and be present among them. Show, show them their love. Invite them into a bigger story. The Tibetan people group, the Dalai Lama and his family. So at the end of this Bible school, most people had an organized outreach. And they said, Matt, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. God's kind of stirring on my heart to actually just go to India. And they're like, have you ever been there? No. Do you know anybody there? I don't. Do you know anything about the culture? Nope. Do you have any friends who've been there? No. So what are you doing? I go, I don't know, but God's leaving me on this adventure, and my heart loves this people group before I've even met them. So we left with, with uh, five, four friends and moved to this place called Dharamsala, India, out of a place of reading the Bible, praying it out in my life, and saying, God, 
can you actually be the worldview that actually helps me answer the questions and processes the life season I'm in? When we were there, we opened classrooms. We met with monks. We got invited into the Dalai Lama's temple to teach Je all about Jesus in the Dalai Lama's temple. There's a guy named Raj who was our, um, was our taxi driver. And he actually took him every time and he leaned into us and got hungry because he saw ours and said, I want to follow Jesus. And this was our strategy of evangelism. We looked at these people, Raj specifically, and we said, you can't. It's going to cost you too much to follow Jesus. You should leave. So he left. A few days later, came back and said, no, I counted the cost. I want to follow Jesus. Threw away all his Hindu, his, uh, Hindu shrines. Guys, almost 20 years later today, I still support Raj. He left that becoming Jesus, went to seminary, married his wife, has three kids, moved back to his hill tribe to actually be a church planner. We've been supporting him 20 years later, supporting him, and just a month ago, we bought him a piece of property in the hill country of the Himalayas for him to build a house, and he's going to start just what we're doing with Cromdale. 20 months in the working. And was it me? No, but it was something about actually posturing ourselves when we read the Bible to say, I want to be part of your story. You're using me to actually be contagious for all nations, all people groups. There's no one outside of it. To actually show them you're a heavenly citizen. So when I read the Bible, like things changed. There was another guy named Jigme. When we were there that first trip, he was a Tibetan, the first in the region to give his life to Jesus. And we did the same uh, evangelistic strategy. We told him, you can't become a Christian. It's going to cost you too much. I never read that, but we just felt to honor them as friends. We're like, dude, you're going to get kicked out of your family. Your culture is not going to like you. You shouldn't do it. But they again came back to us and said, but I've seen things that are so good, I want to be like you guys. Because the culture of heavenly citizenship actually tastes good. People want to replicate it. It's actually good news. So when I read the Bible, it is good news. I'm like, God, I want to be part of good news. Not hitting people with bad news and trying to get them to submit to my club or change or be fixed but actually letting them live their best life that they want to live. And that's the invitation from the Bible that I read. And that's Abe Mo. How to evangelize. It's going to cost you everything, but it's the most beautiful thing. So as we read through the Old Testament, we read it. We pray it. And we say, God, change my worldview. In, in my choices in light of who you are and what the Bible reads. Guys, Jesus walks on the scene, and please stop me if anybody wants to stop me. But we're going to get, we have a few more minutes, and then I'll stop us. But Jesus walks on the scene, and I start reading the New Testament. And there's a crazy story. In Mark 12, verse 41, there's a story of Jesus just sitting outside the temple with his buddies, you know, the disciple guys that were friends with him who didn't really even know he was the Messiah quite yet, but thought he was a cool guy. 
and started pointing out in Mark chapter 12 that there's this widow who's deeply poor. And she gave everything she had and just gave it away because she knew her identity wasn't in her belongings or her national citizenship. She knew her identity was actually a heavenly one. And she goes, that's rich. And I started praying into this in this time, part of my India trip that I was in. And in this time, the tail end of that first trip, we actually went to Calcutta, India, and worked with Mother Teresa. And many of you maybe have been to this place, but we, we worked in this place called Kaligat in Calcutta, India. And Kaligat is the home for the destitute and the dying. Mother Teresa, when she was walking the streets in India decades ago, saw people dying on the streets. And why is that significant? Why would people just be left to die on the streets decades ago? It's not quite happening the same today. It was like that because the worldview, the books, the holy books, the worldview of other religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, said it would not be merciful for you to help the person who's dying on the streets. You should let them suffer do not help them, because if you help them, they won't advance in the next life. So most of the hospitals weren't around when Mother Teresa was there in India, because you didn't want a hospital. You wanted someone to lay their suffering on the streets. So when Mother Teresa was walking the streets, she would see somebody and says, i got to do something. She didn't have very much money, but she had the single coin of her own heart and said, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to provide a space for them to die with dignity. That's how she started this place in Kolkata. So she would take the people dying on the streets, created a place of dignity. This is the way of the Bible. The Bible says every single individual has value. So they need to die with value. They need to be taken in with value. Now recently, there are some hit, like different religion hospitals but actually, 50 years ago, the only hospitals being built were from Christians in these third world countries. Why? Because the Bible, the God of the Bible said, I value the widow who has nothing to offer society because they're made in the image of God. And I think when I saw that hit me, I was walking the streets in Calcutta, and if you guys have been there, it's a dirty place. I remember I'd walk the streets and each night I'd go back and I wasn't digging in the mud, but under each of my fingernails were black. I'd blow my nose, it'd be dirty boogers, literally, like it was just nasty. You'd be hot, sweaty, and I'd be in all day hanging out with these people laying, dying on cots. There was one guy there who was, had a rare disease, I don't know if it was polio or something, where all, he was skin and bones except for his head. And he had to be laid on an air mattress because less his own body would crush his own bones. And I remember him asking me there, saying, will you massage my thighs? And I'm thinking, you have no thighs. You just have a femur, man. I didn't say that, but I took some lotion and I'm literally massaging a femur. And I'm just worn out, but I'm like, oh, this is the way of Jesus. My heart doesn't even want to do it, but it's the way of Jesus. And then when you walk out of there as an American who has white skin, people are begging for you for money everywhere you go. And you don't know how to process that because you're like, you're just a professional beggar. I don't know what to do. And then after a little while being in India, you just get jaded. 
And you're like, I won't even talk to those people on the streets. I've just been rubbing femurs. And now I'm going on the street, people begging me. I wanted to kick them. And I was reminded of this passage where Jesus like, the widow has value. And I'm walking late night, 11 at night, pacing the streets with like, like literally like, like jadedness on my heart of being in India for six months. And this little boy runs up to me and says, come over this way. And what's my first instinct is, he's trying to use me. He wants to use me. He just wants to beg for money. So I'm walking over just with like bitterness in my heart. And his whole family's there. It's a little boy about Bodhi's age. And he says, sit down. And his dad, and they have three kids, his dad hands me a little cup of soup. And I'm just waiting for them to just ask me for money, nothing. He goes, here's soup, eat with me. Eat with me. And then this sticks out, and I don't know, there was a little present, the boy tapped me on the shoulder, and I was look at that. This last week was my birthday, and my dad got me this. And I looked at the cage, it was like a janky homemade bird cage. And inside the bird cage, were little kind of birds you'd catch like a finch you'd catch in a tree. <laughs> and it's in there, and I'm like, that's the crappiest gift you could ever give. And then I realized his dad gave everything, everything, the little he had to show his son that he was loved beyond measure. And it was a homemade bird cage with birds that he just caught on a limb next to their little pad on the sidewalk. And my heart just melted where I'm like, I walked over there just bitter and jaded, and this son gave me a little cup of soup, and they loved on me. And I'm like, oh boy, God, you love all these people. There's not one you don't love. And God started challenging my worldview as I read the Bible and experienced life through the Word of God to say, do I see people with redemptive eyes, that everybody is a son of the king, even if they don't know it yet? And do I treat them that way? So when we read the Bible, do we read it? Do we pray it to transform our hearts? Do we beg a God to change our worldview for how we live? I got like four more bullet points, but I'll skip to the end. Well, I'll give one is this community, Tanya and I, I, uh, I ended up killing a church two years into Denver about 10 years ago. Tanya and I just got married. We had a little baby on the way, Isla on the way. We just bought a house. I felt like a failure. And we started reading the New Testament and stumbled on Acts 2. And Acts 2 talked about bringing friends into a house together, share food, share things in common, and just see what happens. So we felt a little whisper in our heart, just invite people into your home, give people a sniff of the kingdom, and actually see the value of their life starting to shift. We didn't know how to do it, but we just said, God, okay, let, let us do that. We don't have much money. We're kind of broken in our identity. And we just started inviting people into our home. Welcome to the birth of Crompdale and where it is today. We read Acts. We prayed acts, and we said, God, change our lifestyle and our worldview around this scripture. Most recently, this is the last one. If you read Revelations 21, it says, one day there will be a city on the hill, 
It's like a garden city, a redemptive city. It started out in Genesis with a, a garden. At the end, it's a garden city, one that there's no more crying, no more tears, no more brokenness. But the whole story, you guys, we read is about God partnering with people to get to that point. It's so funny. I've been investing my life here over the last 12 years with many of you guys, all of us together, not just me. I mean, I look around the room and all of you guys have done much better things in many areas than me. But we've been trying together to say we're leading to a garden city. But guess what? There's times, even in the past two weeks, where I just feel broken and I want to give up. I want to give up. In this last six months of how I've been reading Scripture is the only capacity I had was to go through the Psalms. I go through a Psalm a day, and I read it, I pray it, and I say, God, transform my heart. And the repeated theme over and over again you're not going to be surprised, it's quite simple. And I circle it in my Bible here. The steadfast love of the Lord. He loves you. Matt, he loves you. He's faithful to your promises. It's funny, the thing I confessed to Dave when Dave did his little thing was sometimes the things I desire for the most seem like my weakest points. I so want my kids to actually follow Jesus and have a holistic life that's so beautiful and deep and fulfilling. And it's sometimes the very thing that I feel like I'm failing at the most. I want vibrant friendships of Acts 2. And sometimes I don't even have capacity to go to events with my friends. I want to see my neighbors actually get a sniff of the kingdom. I could name off their names right now and have events and parties in my backyard for them to get a sniff of the kingdom. And that time, I just want to go to bed. Because I don't have the energy. And the other day I was reading, I mean, I could, my bookmarks at the Psalm I had, it's at 105. And I, I was reading in my backyard in the morning, I do it every morning before the phone. My phone doesn't get picked up until I commit to actually reading the word and read it, pray it, and let me be transformed. And I'm just tearing up because I don't cling on to the steadfast love of the Lord. And I always think I'm running out of time. There's something about American culture that's whizzing by us. The status quo, do I have enough money? Have I saved up for retirement? Do I have this 520 plan for my kids to go to college or something? And I just read I'm supposed to put, since their birth, put like $600 a month in it until when they're 18. And I'm like, I haven't even thought about what the plan is. I'm 10 years behind on Isla. She's not going to college. And I came to this, like, 105, it says, praise God. And I was out there, and I just started singing. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God in all the earth. And that moment, of course, Selah comes up. And she looks at me, and she's like, are you crying? <laughs> she always did that. She literally, she's like, oh, I go, I, I think so. 
She goes, okay, and then she just leaves. <laughs> I think so. Then I get to this part where it says, there's no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And I just remembered, I'm not on the American time frame. The timeline of American culture does not dictate what my life's success is. But I also realized if I don't fight against it with this biblical worldview, I'm going to flow downstream on American nationalistic identity every time. And I'm going to feel the pressures of my income dictating where I'm at, my savings dictating where I'm at, my status dictating where I'm at. It's just with a group of you. I mean, uh, there's a handful of you who are in there. And I said, uh, we're in a leadership thing, and we said, what are the biggest things that are stumbling my leadership? And there's a book by Henry Nowen called In the Name of Jesus. And one of them is one of the, the temptations of a leader in American culture is to be spectacular. <laughs> I mean, even specifically Christians, Right? You're the one who wants to be on the tightrope where you guys look up front and see me on a tightrope and you're like, wow, he just ran that tightrope. Woo, he's my pastor, you know? And uh, we designed Karamdeo to be opposite of that. Everything in us designed to be opposite of that. That's not how we run. That's probably not what you guys have seen. Well, actually, I can promise you it's not spectacular. It's not what you've seen. But it's so funny. Even though it's not the product we made, still as a leader in your heart, you're like, I kind of want to be spectacular. And they said the way away from that is to gather friends, live acts to, confess to each other, invite God in, worship him, so that God's worldview is ours. And the only way I've seen to do that is to commit to scripture. So in closing, I've gone longer than I should. I thought I was gonna go shorter. I just say the thing we are committed to in Karamdeo and pushing you guys to is read scripture, pray scripture, and let scripture shape your whole worldview, your day to day, your small and big. And receive the love of the king as you do all your daily tasks. And let's lock arms together to do it together. That's scripture. That's why we read it. That's why we commit to it. And it's so different than any other religion I've ever seen. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.